Hello, and welcome to the Libertarian Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Senek, joined, as always, by the Libertarian himself, Professor Richard Epstein, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, as well as Professor of Law at NYU and Senior Lecturer at University of Chicago. Today, the economics of Amazon. And Richard, I use that title as shorthand for the fact that the economics of e-commerce broadly have been much in the news lately in all branches of the federal government really. So let's start with the executive branch. President Trump has specifically had Amazon in his sights lately. Uh, now, of course, Jeff Bezos, who's the head of Amazon, is also the owner of the Washington Post, which may be a contributing factor. But let me get you to react uh, on the merits to the president's criticism of, of Amazon. This is what the president recently said on Twitter. Quote, they pay little or no taxes to state and local governments, use our postal system as their delivery boy, causing tremendous loss to the U.S., and are putting many thousands of retailers out of business, close quote. Richard, your reaction to that? Well, uh, the first thing is I don't think he actually understands the way in which the exemptions from the uh, interstate or sales taxes takes place. That is, essentially, the rule is if you ship from a state under current law, uh, to another place. And in that other place, you do not have a bricks and mortar place of business of any sort, kind of description. Uh, you are not going to be subject to an internet or an interstate tax. There's a case called Quill from about 25 years ago, uh, which said, oh my God, this will be so utterly complicated, multiple situations taking place, uh, that we're going to say to the dormant commerce clause, that is the commerce clause insofar as it precludes state regulation is so important that it blocks. Amazon, every time it expands, it does more work in more states on the ground. Uh, so you lose this exemption if you have a storage facility in Illinois, if any goods are shipped from anywhere else into Illinois. So it turns out on balance, the, the situation with respect to Amazon is it tends to pay more taxes than other people in this business. And in fact, it's one of the lobbyists to reverse the rule uh, because it would rather have a situation in which its competitors in the um, interstate space are paying the same taxes that it does. And the really hard point here is as follows. They are surely correct that having a tax imbalance between rival sellers, uh, interstate companies that are exempt, interstate companies that are not exempt, interstate companies that are exempt and local stuffs that, they are, that are subject to the tax is a kind of a distortion which could lead to internet, rather, interstate inefficiencies in the operation of a system. So one is very much aware of it. It's similar to the Airbnb situation where they say, look, you're not paying taxes on people who stay there and hotels are paying taxes. That's crazy. And in the end, Airbnb acquiesced and agreed that it would pay taxes on top of its units. The problem is who's going to get the tax? There are about 12,000 different tax districts in the United States, and they all have very different rules, regulations, and so forth. Uh, so there was a plaintiff plea by a woman in the Wall Street Journal, I think it was this morning or yesterday, the case was actually argued today, saying, I can't figure out how to pay taxes to 12,500 different places and still maintain my mom and pop business. You have to shield me from that. And so the question is, can you basically let the stacks do this unilaterally? 
Or is the sensible thing to say Congress should come in? And my own recommendation is, since the local variations are too complicated to do, is to have the taxes collected by some kind of a central facility and then give the same rate to every state. Uh, you have to get rid of the state's ability to determine its own tax level. But you do is you reduce the administrative burden and increase the collectability. So on that particular issue, as far as I can see, um, the president doesn't have it quite right. A second question, if I recall, was under the these circumstances, the post office becomes the delivery boy. Is that right, Troy? Right. The president is saying essentially that the, the postal service and by extension the taxpayers are being exploited by Amazon's use of the service. Well, I mean, first of all, much of the stuff I suspect doesn't go through the post office at all. It goes through Federal Express or UPS. I don't know the exact arrangements is, but it would be stunning to me if given the amount of stuff that I've gotten in interstate travel to assume that the post office is the delivery boy of choice. Um, generally speaking, it's more expensive, slower and less reliable. So I kind of doubt it. But to the extent that they do use it, pricing is rather Byzantine with respect to the post office because there's so many services that ought not to be there and so many cross-subsidies that are created. So, for example, you want to talk about subsidized service. It's rural service on Saturday service are probably your biggest money losers. And it's impossible to get rid of those things given the power that uh, senators from small rural states, Nebraska, Iowa, Idaho, and so forth have. That's not going anywhere soon. What happens is that the Amazon company, to the extent they use it, they may pay some kind of a bargain rate along with everybody else, but they're covering more than their marginal cost. So essentially, if you took them out of the system at this particular point in time, there would be larger postal deficits than you already had. So actually figure out what kind of a subsidy they have and what kind of a subsidy they should get would require a massive kind of accounting. And you can't do that question in a tweet. So it's as usual, the president basically sees a lower rate, assumes some nefarious motive, and kind of gets that point wrong. The last point on retailers is extremely difficult to deal with because this issue has been around uh, for at least 80 years. The Robinson-Patman Act tried to put limitations on the ability of chain stores, i.e. the then A&P, Atlantic and Pacific Company, uh, to compete with retailers, and they tried to give these guys protection. It resulted in massive inefficiencies, and in the end, the pressures to get efficient distribution of stuff means that companies like Amazon, Walmart, and so forth will get tremendous volume online and in the store because they deliver things at lower prices. So the retailers, the small guys are going to be surely in trouble, but it's extremely difficult to face who it is that are going to do them. It's also the case, by the way, that these people are not without resources. And so what happens is the little guys essentially know that their niche markets out there um, selling various kinds of cookies or various kinds of cloths and fabrics and so forth. The bigger fellows can't possibly go into those particular markets uh, because what happens is they can't afford to carry a line that's not going to make a million dollars a year. They just can't and put it in there. But some mom and pop operation can make five or six hundred thousand dollars worth of sale on the internet. So in a strange way, the internet, which facilitates the things that the big company does, also allows these very little companies uh, to reach interstate markets and therefore to thrive. Uh, so to say, in effect, that they're being put out of business, it may be true with respect to some retailers, but it's certainly false with respect to others. The other complication here is Amazon's got to buy something from somebody. And it may well be that they're going to be people who don't sell direct to consumers, but they may sell direct to Amazon, 
who then packages it with other goods and sells it to consumers. So it may well be that there's a shift from small businesses of being suppliers into the end state market to supplying Amazon and its various competitors. And so the president in this tweet has engaged in his usual magnificent oversimplification because he's trying to make a political point. I think the truth about the matter is that having some rationalization through Congress would be desirable, but putting the words Congress and rationalization in the same sentence is a is a leap of faith, I think, Troy, in many <laughs> cases. And, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. This problem arose in Quill. What they said is we can't do it now. We want Congress to do it. Congress has had a lot of proposals and they've all sputtered. There's no question that some guys would like to see the internet tax-free, and there's a lot of plus to that uh, because it means these goods flow more freely than they would otherwise do as opposed to the tax equity case. I would hope that Congress could get its act together. There are a bunch of bills there, uh, but this will require tremendous negotiation. And a president who might actually try to contribute something positive to this particular discussion, but as as you and I and everybody else knows about the president, is one of the things that tweets do is it allows you to condemn other people, but it doesn't give you the incentive to actually create a constructive proposal on your own. So this is a very difficult area. There are billions of dollars at stake. But as mentioned, it turns out that the total level of internet goods that are taxed is going up, not down. And with the rise of the large companies and their multiple distribution section sessions and, and methods, it's actually a problem that's getting slightly smaller rather than much larger. Let me take you back for a moment to that discussion about the Postal Service because you described this organization that's beset by inefficiencies, which the general public basically knows and runs on the system of cross-subsidies, which is maybe slightly less well-known. Richard, is the solution there, as a lot of your fellow libertarians suggest, to privatize the Postal Service? Is that viable? Well, you certainly don't want to privatize the Postal Service because you already get private services that are doing this stuff. Um, It's extremely complicated to privatize any government entity. What you would like to do is to make sure that um, everybody can carry any kind of service to any location at any time. I, Instead of privatizing, simply say that if somebody has a post office box to which the post office delivers on their door, that you could put your stuff into that thing as well, would actually transform it uh, so you get a slightly more deliberate efficient delivery at the back end. Uh, But I think what you really want to do is to stop subsidies of the post office. As those things stop being given, uh, they're going to have to contract their services. The other people will start to fill them and it will move. One of the reasons why you cannot privatize it is the post office has its primary, they have two primary sources of cost. One is capital equipment, but the other is salaries, which is even larger. These are largely union salaries. And if you're going to try and privatize the post office, you're going to have to take the private union along with it. And and that's going to be an extremely big stumbling block, which means that it won't work. Uh, some of these carriers, I forget which ones, are unionized, some are not. They seem to work out well one against another. If, in fact, the post office shrunk, there'd probably be another new entry into this market. So I don't think privatization is the answer. I think a withering away of the post office as the carrier of last resort would be appropriate. And as the cross-subsidies start to disappear to rural delivery places, then people who are charging true market rates will actually now have a way to get something sold there because if 25 cents doesn't cover the cost and 60 cents does, uh, some guy who essentially charges 60 cents will now have a shot because he doesn't have to treat, um, compete against the subsidized services. So I think privatization is a loser, but I think market redefinition is a distinct possibility. 
to the president's point about retailers, Richard, there is at present an anxiety in some circles, including from some normally free market types, that we may have been too blithe in the past about the distribution of economic disruptions. And at the risk of caricature, the argument goes something as follows, that it's one thing for a bunch of retailers in town to close up shop because a Walmart moves in. Because in that scenario, the Walmart's a part of the community and the jobs are remaining in that community. But it's another thing entirely if Amazon is eating the retailer's lunch because then that only redounds to the benefit of Amazon corporate headquarters and wherever the distribution centers are. Is there room for that kind of thinking within a coherent free market philosophy? I think the answer to that question is a pretty emphatic no. I mean, the first point about it is it, you have to be extremely confident, which you cannot be, of what the distributional consequences are going to be if you have market liberalization. Uh, so, for example, if you start looking at the overall situation of wages in the United States and so forth, and you ask yourself what has happened when we've done basically at this point very little to stop free trade, but we've done a fair amount amount to essentially liberalize tax at the federal levels, and many states have liberalized their local economies as well. And what happens is market liberalization gives you opportunities for new kinds of businesses that weren't going to form. They may not be in direct competition with Amazon, uh, but there are other things. So uh, it turns out that people who used to be small retailers, what they down do is they run gyms and coffee shops and boutiques and beauticians operations of one form or another, because those kinds of industries essentially have never been able to work at a large level. Much harder to do that. And so if you look at the decline in, in unemployment, it's been pretty dramatic. In the recent year or two, it's the wages are going up again, and the benefits seem to be fairly broadly spread. One of the things that you start to see is that companies are advertising, please come to us even if you have a criminal record. There may be a job for you here. Many places like Walmart essentially start giving unilateral wages because they understand that people are going to be starting to leave one way or another. Um, all of this stuff starts to take place. And the moment you start putting in a vested right for somebody to get compensated when they lose jobs, you have to figure out which individuals are going to get it, how much you're going to pay them, what conditions you're going to attach to the money and so forth. And this is, I think, an extremely difficult thing to do when you're talking about international trade, which is why it is always founded. And it's even harder when you're doing it in the domestic market. I think that the basic intuition you have is if it's consistent market liberalization, it raises all boats. It may create new ones. It may destroy old ones. But if you're worried about individuals and you assume any level of individual, shall we say, imagination and ability to switch jobs, get retraining and so forth, and if you assume that new employers are going to come out there, if you expand the pie and make labor more productive, they're going to be very few losers and they're going to be a huge numbers of winners, which is what is why the the Trump program seems to be working. You remember how many boo-birds there were about these general tax increases. Well, they're all going to go to dividends to rich shareholders. Well, they go to dividends to rich shareholders and they invest in new startups because the academic and the intellectual and the political climate is a lot better. Uh, so the answer to this question is don't do it. Uh, you've got to understand that when you start to play this compensation game, it turns out to be the biggest drag on the economy. This is a case where you really want to go all in with one thing and and the point about this, as with the state and local tax deductions, is you take places like Illinois and New York and New Jersey and Massachusetts.
Massachusetts and California, and they're losing their lunch to places like Tennessee and Texas because they got lousy business environments. Hopefully, what they will do is they will see the light and will start to realize that the only way they're going to expand their tax base is to expand their business base instead of doing what they're always trying to do is to put a higher and higher tax on a smaller and smaller base, which only leads to a repetition of the cycle. Uh, So if you look at the differences across state lines, they're enormous. This has nothing to do with Amazon. It's selling nationwide. It has everything to do with local policies, which in some states are pro-growth and in other states are violently anti-growth. And anytime you see a governor come forward and say, there seems to be a shortfall in the budget, we have to raise taxes again, think Connecticut. This should be one of the richest states in the union, and it's a complete and total body wreck because Governor Malloy is always thinking about ways to increase taxes to stop deficits, and all he does is he hemorrhages decent people and decent businesses. This is not the way in which you start to do things. A larger pie will take care of itself distributionally. A smaller pie, strangely enough, will leave everybody feeling aggrieved and disappointed. All right. Thank you, Richard, and happy birthday. Thank you to our listeners. (laughs) Remember, you can follow Richard on Twitter. That's at Richard A. Epstein. You can read his weekly column, The Libertarian, by visiting Defining Ideas at Hoover.org, and you can help us out by rating the show on iTunes. For Richard Epstein, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.